0: You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's style is very unique, where he shares the message of the gospel unlike anyone else. It's real, refreshing, focused, and fun. Whether you find yourself in a good place, maybe in a difficult place, or possibly even in a very lonely place, let me encourage you that you've come to the right place. Now, if you're not able to stick around with us for all of today's talk, you can always listen to, download, and even share this entire message with a friend right from our website, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is so
1: close. So let me start with this. There's kind of a misnomer in some circles that to be American is to be Christian, As though a nation could be a Christian nation. You say, well, isn't America a Christian nation? There's no such thing as a Christian nation unless everybody in the nation was a Christian, but still, you would only have Christians in a nation. That would not make a nation a Christian because a nation can't be a Christian, okay? Only people can become Christians. So, what I grew up kind of hearing and thinking was going on was that to be American, You know, I'm an American. The A is silent if you say it right. I'm American. So if you're American, then you're a Christian. It's not true. Because you were born in America does not mean you were born again. Now, then you take it a step further. Some of them say, well, I'm American and I'm Republican. I'm a Christian. Being Republican doesn't make you a Christian. And a lot of people think that. Then you say, well, I'm not just an American. I'm not just a Republican. I'm American Republican. I'm conservative. I'm a Christian. No, even all three of those won't add up to Christian. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. So let's jump in here. Proverbs fourteen thirty-four. So let's read a verse here that speaks to a nation, pretty much any nation. Proverbs fourteen thirty-four says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So that's any people. So look at our culture, look at our world, but look at our country specifically. We've lost our minds. And there is a little history here. If you go back into the history of the United States, you say, well, I thought it was founded on scriptural things and all that. Your marriage may have been founded on all that. Look at your marriage. If you don't stick to the things that you build it on and keep building on those, you're going to end up with some crazy stuff. You say, well, but it's liberal people out there who have hijacked our country. Let me tell you something. Planes don't go down where they're intended to go down sometimes because hijackers are flying at one place and the people on the plane say, we ain't going there. We may die taking it down, but we're not going there. And so the people in a country that say, you know what, this isn't how it's supposed to be going. So if you really don't think that, then take a stand. You say, well, are you making a political statement? No, I'm making a spiritual statement. You sit in a room where things are said and you don't agree with the things that are said. You don't have to be mean, but you can speak the truth in love. Let's go to Proverbs 16:25. So so close. There are people that almost make heaven. They're going to almost make heaven. They're so close, but this is why they miss it. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So you're going to write your own ticket. So if you're sitting talking to somebody who's not a Christian and they say, well, you know what? I just believe that this, this, and this, and they kind of board it together and say a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And I say this and I'm going to share something. I had a conversation recently with a young woman who the first time she had been to church was here recently in her whole life, in her twenties, never been to church. So I end up in a conversation with her. I tear up because I'm concerned about her soul, and it's very intense with some other people around. And I said, so what happens to you when you die? What do you believe happens to you when you die? And she says, I believe my body will feed the flowers, the daisies. And you know what I said? You're exactly right. So if you look at someone who says that, you say, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm talking about your soul. You'll burn in hell without Jesus. Oh, that really makes them want to jump in the boat with you, doesn't it? Now, all that may be true, but why do we have to say it that way? Right? It should break your heart if that's true. So I said, you know what? You're right. Your body, put your body in the ground, goes back to dirt, it will feed the flowers. But I said, what about your soul? What about your spirit? What about the you that makes you you? And then she had another answer for that. People either don't have an answer, and when they don't know the answer, sometimes they make one up because nobody wants to look stupid. So when you ask people very serious questions that they don't have very serious answers to because no one's helped them with it or they haven't thought about it or don't know what to do if they do think about it, then you've got to be patient and gentle and realize that if they don't have the answer, they've probably built one. And I'm going to cover a bunch of these today, but where this usually starts with people is in order to make sense of life and what's going to happen to them, they either think I'm just going to die and I'm dead. People believe that. There's no afterlife. This is just it. And then you're just dead. I don't believe that, and I don't think a ton of people who say they believe that actually do believe that. It sounds nice, and if you just want to go with that, that makes eternity and facing God seem a little easier. The problem is there is a God, and we all will face him. All roads lead to God. All roads don't lead to heaven. But all roads do lead to God. Only Jesus will get you to heaven. And so that's the conversation. So write your own ticket. Matthew chapter 6. Turn there. We're going to read a bunch of scriptures. So... Here we go. Matthew 6, verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly now built into scripture is this these things are not isolated things jesus will never tell you to go do something that will just get you through life and make you feel better and help someone but doesn't affect your eternity all of the old testament points to jesus all of the new testament a ton of it is about what he did while he was here And then some, you know, the epistles, Paul's writings, all that are telling you either what did happen while he was here or what's coming, book of revelation, that type of thing, things coming in the future. So he's not saying do charitable deeds and then that'll get you into heaven. But some people think that they write big checks, give tons of money. And this is the thought I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to go, okay, so there's a billion right there. I give a billion. That's got to work, doesn't it? I gave a bunch of money to charity. I gave a thousand, I gave a hundred thousand, whatever it is you gave, wrote a check, I gave that, and then that's going to be your deal with God. I gave all this money, you should let me in. But here's what you got to remember. If the only way into heaven is Jesus, then what you're basically saying is his life is worth my check. And so I paid, really didn't need him to die for me because I wrote a check. I helped someone, I gave money. It's just going to fall apart in that moment. And this is what I'm trying to get you to think through and get you to think through as people who are talking to people who are processing stuff so that you have an answer. It's not the Bible doesn't say don't do charitable deeds. It even tells you how to do them. But it is not going to tell you only do charitable deeds and only do them the right way. And if you do that right, you'll make heaven. Because who's the one telling the story in Matthew 6? It's Jesus. And he's the one that also said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So he's not going to contradict that. Go to the next one. Now, this one gets intense. Matthew chapter 7. This one's actually a little, I'm not saying it's scary, but it's intense. Because this one is literally performing miracles. Now, before I even read this, let me give you a little warning. Just because someone performs a miracle does not mean it's God doing it. Okay? So look at these verses. Now this is Jesus speaking, Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, and this is what he is saying that these people will say to him in that day. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? So you say, I saw somebody prophesy in his name. That don't mean it's him prophesied in your name. Now look at this one. Have we not cast out demons in your name? You say, how is this even possible? If the enemy is trying to trick you into thinking that someone walked in and cast a demon out in Jesus name, then all the demons got to do is cooperate. Okay, so all these people are silly, stupid. So what we're going to do is we're going to come in there and here's what we're going to do. You say, in Jesus' name, come out, and I'll jump out, and they'll see me jump out, and they'll go, oh, look at that, that's a miracle, and then they'll think it's God, and they'll follow us, and we got him." But you say, well, a demon came out. Clearly, that's not enough proof. Then you say, well, how in the world am I going to know this? You can't know the difference unless you know him, and I'm not saying no things just about him. You have to know him, know his voice, have such a relationship with him that if he says, this is not me, you go, Okay. I see what I see, but I know you well enough to know this is not you, I'm out. Now, if it is him, you go, okay, great. And he will confirm that. But if you don't know him well enough to know that, you're in trouble. What else does he say? And done many wonders in your name. Just sums it all up. Oh, they did some amazing thing. The devil's got game, people. If you're going to go read about some game, if you go read about Moses going to Pharaoh, let my people go, and Moses would throw down, the magicians would throw down. Moses would throw down the magicians. And this went on plague after plague after plague until you get deep into the plagues. And part of the reason I believe there were so many plagues is that God knew that the devil would try to keep up and could. And then if you go read, I can't remember where it is this second, but if you go read, there's a point where the magicians said out loud finally, Basically, we're out. This only God can do. And so they had to fall away. It took a while before you got there, though. So you say, well, these people did wonders in your name. Look what he tells them in that day. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So those are people so close, performing miracles, casting out demons, wonders, and they don't know him. Mark chapter 10. Now this is probably one of the number one answers I get. I'm a good person. And you know what? I meet some really nice, good people. And they turn out to be some of the hardest people to explain this to, although when it gets down to it, somebody's lost is lost, they know it, and the gospel penetrates and they get saved. But it's hard to explain to a really good, nice person that they're lost. Because they think, look, I don't hurt anybody. I don't you know I don't harm anyone I pay my taxes I live a good life I'm kind you know and you look at him they go exactly but what they're saying without knowing that they're saying it is you know good for you guys that you had to have a savior Jesus come save you but I'm a good person I didn't need that now they don't think they're saying that but that's really what it gets down to too bad for you screwed up people I'm not one of you I'm a good person I read this Mark 10:17 now as he was going Out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So what is this guy literally asking? How can I be saved? He didn't know how to put it in those words. I want to inherit eternal life. I want to live forever. Good teacher, what do I need to do for that? So Jesus said to him, well, first of all, why do you call me good? None is good, but one, that is God. So you say, I'm a good person. I get what you mean. But Jesus said, none is good, but God which he's just said about himself. I am God, so I'm good. So you're right, calling me good teacher because I am good because I am God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. So he's a good person. So he's talking to a good God and he thinks he's a good person because he's kept all the rules. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him. And by the way, if Jesus looks at you and you know he loves you, you know that look. And he said to him, one thing you lack, you're so close then, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and take up the cross and follow me. We're right there. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions The truth of the matter is he really didn't have many possessions at all. His possessions possessed him. So yes, I want eternal life. And yes, I've kept all the rules. Yes, I'm a good person, but I couldn't possibly go sell everything, give it away, take up my cross, follow you, not going to happen. You say, well, why didn't he make it? Because God gave everything. He requires everything. John chapter three, and this is a bunch of people. And you need to make sure this is not you. Some people say, I was born into a Christian family. Therefore, I am a Christian. That is not true. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again not just physically born, but spiritually born, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Obviously he did not get it because that's dangerous and terrifying for women. Can he enter a second time? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. So you say, well, I was born into a Christian family. It does not work. That's very close, but you have to make the decision for yourself spiritually. Now, there are other people that use this passage, and let me just read it quick for the sake of Acts chapter 16. Go to that one quick, and we're closing in on the end here. Some people will say, Well, yes, I do believe that I was born into a Christian family, I'm covered. And this is one of the places they use. Acts 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul has been arrested, wrongfully arrested with Silas. At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Don't kill yourself, we're all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Like, this is crazy stuff. I was about to kill myself. You didn't leave. It's got to be of God. What do I got to do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ." and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, what does that mean? People say, well, see, he said, you believe, and then you'll be saved, you and your household. So once the jailer believes, it sweeps in the whole household. It doesn't say that. The whole household can be saved if each of them believes. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. Not just to him, but to everybody who's in the house. They speak the word of the Lord to all of them. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he brought them into this house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household, which means the only way everybody in the household got saved is everybody individually in the house believed, okay? So if you've been told, my mom and dad went to church, they're Christians, they're some denomination, and because of that, I'm in, you got no verses for this. You have to be born again. No one can be born again for you in the same way that no one could be born the first time for you. All right, that seems pretty no-brainer, but sometimes you say it loud, it makes more sense. Acts chapter 26. I read this in another message, but let me read you these last few. Acts 26, verse 24. Paul is in front of Festus and Agrippa, I'll read you this, verse 24. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I speak freely knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. So close. Let me tell you something. Almost isn't all. It's almost. It's not there. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am except these chains. I'd love for you to have and know what I have. He says, I'm almost there, but almost isn't enough. James chapter two. And you think that this one would work. Some people say to me, I believe in God, and I quote them this verse. Now you say, well, well, wasn't that the point? You believe in God? It is not just enough to believe that there is a God or God exists, okay? So look at this passage, James 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. In other words, you look like a nutcase because the person is naked and destitute of daily food, and you're saying depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. You do well, even the demons believe and tremble. So when someone says, I believe in God, I say, okay, you and the demons agree there's a God. It's past that. Not just there is a God or that there's one God. Do you believe that one God loves you, that his son Jesus died on the cross, buried, raised from the dead to save you, or are you just to believe that he is? Big difference. How many single guys do I talk to that believe in the institution of marriage? They do not want to be institutionalized. (laughs) So they believe in marriage. Good for you. We'll find out if you believe in marriage. Ask some girl to marry you and marry her. Now you believe in marriage because now you're married. You're in that relationship. There's a Pew report done a while back It says that 80% of Americans believe in God. Does that mean that 80% of Americans are Christians? No. Because sometimes it's the God of their choosing or their making, but they believe in some spirituality or whatever. They believe in God. So listen to me. You say, I believe in God. That's not enough. You've got to put your trust in that God. Sometimes I'll use a chair and I'll look at the chair and I'll say, do you believe that chair will... Hold you. They say, yeah. I say, well, then sit in it and prove it. Big difference. Putting your faith, your weight, your trust in that chair is different than standing off the side saying it'll hold you. So putting all of your life, all of your trust, all of your future, all of your hope, everything in him, that's different than just believing that he exists. All right, let's do this last one in Romans chapter 10. Go back over to Romans. So the point of all this today is this. You can be so close yet so far away. And in Romans chapter 10, verse six, he says this, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, like, okay, who's going to go to heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, like we got to go somewhere to figure this out, go get him somewhere, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Back up to verse 8. The word is near you. And I sit with people all the time and I see it in their eyes. It is literally on the tip of their tongue. They are that close, so close to becoming a Christian. And sometimes they'll say the words, and you say they're just words. Words have meaning. His word has meaning. Our words have meaning. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's not complicated. I've seen it happen over and over
0: and over. We'll get back to Richard in a moment to close out today's talk. But first, I want to share something about our program. Our mission is actually very simple, to take the planet. So it's our prayer that these daily talks from Richard aren't something you only hear and enjoy, but that they inspire you to share with others. Together, we can do this. The message of the gospel is something everyone needs to hear, and that's why it's such a priority to us. So join us in this important mission. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD to say you're in. Or you can get on board with us through our website, talks.com. Well, here's Richard with some closing thoughts for us. So you hear someone's objections, you hear their reasons,
1: you keep talking, and you say, look, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross, buried, raised, from the dead for you? They say yes. Then help them get the words out. And usually what I do is say, I don't have a script of any kind. I'm not going to read a speech to you, kind of like wedding vows at a wedding. One person says something. God has said his words. It's your turn to say your words. So something like this. You say, God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and raised from the dead to pay for my sin and to offer me eternal life as a gift. I accept the gift of eternal life. I ask you to come live in me, through me, change me from the inside out, save me. That's how close. You might be to heaven if you can just get those words out and believe in your heart. He'll save you. So that can happen for you in here or anywhere beyond here today. But the second part of what I'm saying is you can help someone do that. You say, I'm afraid I don't know what to say in the conversation. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because you got the God that made the universe living inside of you. So you take a deep breath and you say, Lord, I don't want to screw this up, but I don't want to walk away from this person because I see they're so close.
0: Help me. You'd be amazed what you can come up with. Thanks for listening today to Richard Ellis Talks. We're confident that the program blessed you, and we want to hear about it. One way is to give us a call and let us know. The number is 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is to drop us an email. Jump on over to our website, richardellistalks.com, and click on the Connect tab at the top. We'd love to hear from you. And while you're there at the website, there's a ton of great stuff there just for you. Things like all of the talks from Richard, a prayer wall where you can leave your prayer request, and a whole lot more. Check it out, richardellistalks.com. Finally, we love doing this program for you, but we're so grateful when you hop on board to help us with the cost. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD, or you can contribute through the website. It's easy and much appreciated. 855-6-RICHARD, or richardellistalks.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.